Welcome everyone to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. I am super excited for you all to hear this conversation between author, spokesman, and trauma life coach, Michael Unbroken and Virginia. Last week, Virginia and Michael had a Zoom call to talk about his story and how he has turned his life tests into his testimony in order to help others heal. Y'all are in for a ride, so strap in, get comfortable, and maybe even grab a notepad because there is a lot to learn in this jam-packed episode. I have to tell you, I am so impressed. I am so thankful for the likes of you. Mm. I'm speechless almost, actually. I read your whole story. And as you can imagine, doing this for so many years, I hear a lot of stories. And I've had the privilege of working with just amazing humans. But your story is pretty remarkable. And I want to make sure I've got this straight for our listening audience. And I know Natalie's Mm -hmm. going to do the introductions for this, but basically just a lot of chaos and confusion and disease in your life, probably from conception. Yeah. And I see that there was just a lot of abuse. And at four, there was some pretty traumatic events. And then just the story continues until you reach this point of, wait a minute, I was meant for more than this, that quiet, Mm -hmm. still voice, right? That I think is the voice of God just drawing us and calling us to live for more because there's something so beautiful and sacred in our common humanity. But I want you to tell our listening audience a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, look, here's, here's the reality. I understand something now that I didn't understand 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 25 years ago. And that is really that hurt people hurt people, right? You hear that analogy so often, but it's deeper than that. It's trauma begets trauma, right? It's abuse begets abuse. And so, you know, my, my mother was a drug addict and alcoholic at at four years old. She cut off my right index finger and people always go, well, how could your mother do that? And I, I go, well, because that was her experiences. She suffered pain and abuse and her mother before her and so on and so forth. So, you know, it makes sense to me, right? Which is a weird thing to say. Right. And people get caught up. What do you mean? It makes sense. And then I look at my, my stepfather who she married at six, super abusive dude. He, he put me in the hospital multiple times and we spent the majority of our childhood homeless and deeply in poverty. And so, you know, you find yourself in this position where you're like, well, of course my life's a disaster when I'm 18, 24, whatever. Right. And, and that all comes from all those experiences that you have leading up till that moment. And, you know, the, the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life is honestly, I know it sounds insane, but hit rock bottom because without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. And you can go into all the litany of the abuse. You can talk about all the experiences that one has and, and ultimately in that there, there is pain, there is suffering, but there's also this other side of it that, that I noticed that many people tend to tap into. And that's just incredible resilience. Like I I've always felt like I'm capable of doing anything, but I never was focused on doing the right things. Right. And so, you know, I find myself 
at 12 years old, I get high for the first time, drunk when I'm 13. And by 15, I'm expelled from school for selling drugs. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And so the the thing that started to happen is I'm, I'm selling drugs, I'm stealing cars, I'm breaking into houses, I'm, I'm running from the cops. My three childhood best friends, they were all murdered. Wow. And that was the life I was living. Like I saw my future. And luckily I got put into a last chance program. I still didn't graduate high school on time. They literally hand me the diploma. They're like, you just got to get the hell out of here. We don't even know what to do with you <laughs> at this point. And I was like, all right, cool. Money is the solution for poverty. Money is the solution for homelessness. Money is the solution for abuse. I'm going to go chase money. Well, that thing happened to me that happens to people when they get money for the first time. And my life became a complete and utter disaster. And so I find myself at 25, I'm 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep. And, and that's when I put a gun in my mouth. Wow. I was done. Virginia, it's like the money was supposed to solve all my problems. That's right. And it didn't. And I was still that hurt, lost, broken little boy. I hadn't done the work. I hadn't stepped into the first step in the first chapter of this book of healing. And, and ultimately, you fast forward almost 12 years later, and here I am talking to you. Right. What happened at that point when you really got to the place where you put a gun in your mouth? What happened that one, exactly what drove you to that? What was a triggering event that drove you to that, that day, that afternoon, that week? And what was the thing that saved you? So I, I don't think there's one event. Like, I think it's this avalanche, right? It's a series of all of these things happening for 25 years. It's all the pain, all the suffering, all the, I mean, I've been suicidal since I was like 12 years old. You know what I mean? Like I, I just been in those thought patterns constant. Like, I'll tell you right now, the only reason I didn't kill myself as a kid is because I was too dumb to take the right number of Tylenol, like dead serious. You know what I mean? And so instead of like over overdosing, I took enough Tylenol, to like puke my brains out. And, and that was just cause like, I just wanted to turn it off. That's okay. it. I wanted to turn the pain off. I wanted to turn off all of those things that I had, the bullying, the homelessness, the poverty, like I had to steal food to survive the threat of life. There's nothing more dangerous than being a child in my home. Right. And right. so yes. it was I, just I all these, this. I hear these stories all the time. Yeah. And, it's so common, but you're such an inspiration to me. I could hardly wait to speak with you. And I want to apologize that I wasn't able to have a private conversation before today, because I, I just want to tell you, you're like my hero. Oh, and well, I appreciate this is, that. This is what heroes are made of. This is the stuff I think heroes are made of, because I always said that the enduring voices of a generation always speak to the triumph of the human spirit. And there's something sacred in the life of you, Michael, that said, wait a minute, I think I'm more, I'm meant for more than this. And it's yeah. a quiet, still voice of providence. I think that was a form of protection. Cause I think, I think I could unwrap your story with you right now. And you can say, Virginia, there were so many times that it was like the hand of God really saved my life. I should have died so many times. Oh yeah, definitely. I have about 9,000 of those stories, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, the, what, what's really interesting is the voice wasn't quiet. It was yelling at me the whole time. And it was like telling me to get my life together. Wow. That's what it was always wow. saying. Like it, it was always like, dude, when are you going to show up for yourself? 
When are you going to stop playing the victim? When are you going to stop blaming other people? This is why my team could not wait for us to talk because I'm all about helping people understand the power and the authority that they have within their own resources, even in their brokenness to displace that kind of confusion, chaos, and disease. And we'll talk about that in our set different segment, but I was just so inspired by you when you had that gun access to that gun. Why is it you're not dead at that moment when you literally had a gun in your mouth? Yeah. You know, people, I, I don't know, you know, here's, what's really interesting about that moment. Like growing up, one of the odd novelty parts of my life is I actually grew up a boy scout in the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. And so like, I know firearms, I've been around them my whole life. And that day, for whatever reason, there was a misfire. You call it divine intervention. You call it, you know, dumb luck. I don't care what you call it, but ultimately it was this thing where it happened and I'm still here to talk about it. Well, I'll tell you something right now. I've known many people that passed away that I know for an absolute fact in your same position, I might add, that ended up passing away. And I knew that they had a private and intimate relationship with God. And I know that's too big of a thing to unpack right now. But for you, there's no question that there was divine intervention because look what you're doing and look at what you're able to invite other people to step into reckless living, right? Recklessly pursuing life. It's not reckless living, right? But recklessly pursuing life. And somehow, you know, you were just meant to live and do yeah. what you're doing. You know, what's really funny is I, I, I've always thought, I've always known that I'm incredibly stubborn, right? It's, it's my greatest flaw and it's my greatest attribute. Like I know that about myself. And, and I remember being a little kid and, and just always thinking like, I'm supposed to do something important. I'm supposed to do something important. I don't know what it is, but I'm supposed to do it. And, and this is, this is what that it is. And it's, you know, being able to share these stories and, and help people and, and empower them and speak into their lives and, and ultimately just show people like you're not broken. You're not stuck. You're not the narrative that other people have given you. You just haven't done the hard thing yet. And that's taking ownership and becoming the hero of your own story. Nightbird calls that stubborn rebellion. She's one of my cancer patients and that I work with. And she references this as stubborn rebellion. You can Google her or go to YouTube. Yeah. I'm familiar with her. Are you actually. familiar with her? Yeah. She's yeah. An incredible human being. She is. But is that stubborn rebellion that says, no, life is this beautiful thing and it's worth hanging on to with every breath, every moment, every second of your life. And there was something about your story that reminds me of her. You both have this the triumph of the human spirit. And it's not just for you and Nightbird, it's for all of us. We can all access that. And I think that's what's beautiful about the time we're living in. I think we can inspire, we can instruct, we can equip, we can motivate each other to lock arms, right? And reach those places of freedom. And I think that's what I love about your story. I just think it's a call to freedom. It reminded me of the Patriot, you know, Mel Gibson picks up mm -hmm. the flag and charges against all odds, right? Just declaring freedom 
And what I think about that too is, is this Virginia, we all have the ability to make that declaration. Like you don't have to necessarily have come through this incredibly traumatic background to be in this no. position where you can do something great in life. And, and I think people just don't recognize the ability that they have inherently to step into something really beautiful if they're willing to face their fear. If you're right. willing to look at the thing in front of you and just go, cool, I, I acknowledge it, it's here, but it's not going to stop me. Yeah, like I don't my- have to cover, hide and blame anybody for it, right? I can just step into it. Yeah, I yeah. love that. And when you do, that's where you find freedom. How? I, I have this question here that I think you've already answered, but I just wanted one straight, clear, declarative statement. Um, how to get unstuck and out of your own way for our listening audience? How does a person, your story is unbelievable, but there's a lot of people that don't have that traumatic story, but are still depressed and anxious and feel paralyzed by that fear. How do they get unstuck and how would you advise them to get out of their own way? Yeah. You move, you take action. People are always waiting for the miracle, waiting for the Disney moment. It's not coming. Nobody's coming to rescue you. Music is it? It is not. If it were, that'd be great. It'd make things a little bit more interesting, but it's not. It's set to whether or not you're going to make a decision. And and I think one of the hardest parts about that is fear is right there in front of you all the time. And if you're up here in your head, this is what you have to understand about life that I wish I would have understood when I was like five years old, right? Your brain is designed to do one thing, help you survive. That is it. It is not designed for any other purpose than to help you decipher whether or not that thing on the ground is a stick or a snake. And so when you're in your brain, when you're in your head and you're in your comfort all the time, even though that comfort might not feel great and it's not satisfying and it's not fulfilling, it's still comfort because on the other side of getting into discomfort, that's where fear lies in that little bit of a gap between where you're at and the action you take to get to where you want to go. And your brain says, don't do that thing over there because it's scary and you don't know what's on the other side. It's just like when you're a little kid and you walk up on the diving board for the first time when you're seven years old, your heart's pounding out of your chest, you're freaking out, you don't know what to do. And you look down and you're paralyzed, but you jump anyway. Why? Because you saw somebody else do it right before you. And so if you're feeling stuck, if you're like, I just don't know what to do in my life, think about what you want and then go look at who has done that thing. Cause I assure you, someone has, there's 8 billion people on earth. You're not unique in trying to figure out that thing you want to do. And then you model that you go for it because it's been proven. It can happen. That doesn't mean you're not going to fall on the way because you are. And so can you embrace that and leverage failure as data and use that to have a better understanding and sense of who you are? Because I can assure you the most successful people on planet earth, all they do is mess up, but they keep going. John Maxwell wrote an incredible book called failing forward. If you haven't read that, read that book, because that's the reality. When you start to fail forward, meaning you don't stop and you're not paralyzed because of mistakes you've made, you can do incredibly beautiful things, but it all starts with the willingness to make the decision, to give yourself permission to go for it. Cause ultimately, and look, I want to say, this is very important. On your deathbed, something's going to happen and you're going to look at your life and you're going to play it through and you're going to ask yourself, did I live? And if the answer is no, you're going to be filled with regret. And that is a life unfulfilled. And my biggest fear is that when I die, I'm going to be in a room and there's going to be a movie reel that starts to play. 
And on this film is going to be me doing all these things that I never did. And there's nothing more terrifying to me than that. And the only way you get to the place where that doesn't become the movie, where instead you go, oh, I remember when I did that thing is by taking action. That's right. I love that. I've always said that in my observation, dealing with so many people that in many cases are facing death, that regret is the curse, in my opinion, of old age. And so you want to live without regrets. And that means facing your fears. Why you must educate yourself in order to heal is very important. And I think you touched on it. Is there anything that you've omitted from that? Because I think you just addressed it, but why do you think education is important in order to heal? Yeah, because you don't know anything. (laughs) <laughs> like really, if you think about it, there's, there's no, there's no handbook. You don't get born and somebody's like, here's the book to your life, go and follow these instructions and everything's going to be great. Like that's not a thing. And so if you don't educate yourself, how do you make meaning of understanding how you got to where you are? Like context, I don't have a high school diploma. I don't have a college education, but I've done my 10,000 hours in trauma-informed education. I have over 35 certifications. I've studied under the best in the world, Pete Walker, Bessel van der Kolk, the Gottliebs, everybody, right? Because I'm like, how do... How do I make my life better if I'm not learning? How do I make my life different if I'm not learning, right? I'd, I'd rather shortcut effectively all of the misfires and mistrials along the way to figuring out what you already know by just reading your book or listening to your podcast or coming to your course. And and people get so caught up, they would rather spend $7 on a Starbucks than on a damn audio book. And I'm like, guys, don't you understand how, how unthoughtful that is? Because you're not giving yourself the opportunity to be successful. Because when I recognize that I don't know anything is when I became the most empowered, because that forced me into this position where I decided I'm going to become the learner. And when you shift your identity, that's everything. Exactly. And the ingredient to that is humility, is seeing your own depravity, your own brokenness, seeing and, and embracing exactly where you're at and saying, this isn't where I want to stay. There's so much more. Social media is an enemy of the soul, in my opinion. It just, I know that's a little severe, but <laughs> no, I it's not. I agree. It's not real. It's not real. And it robs us of attention, of time, of our hopes, our dreams, our passions. And it creates this whole community of comparison that is just a false narrative on all fronts. And I was wondering if that was ever a struggle for you, the whole social media component and facet of our times and this generation, did you ever get stuck and trapped in that whole thing? No, because I like, I grew up with it. So I kind of always understood it. So you didn't you give know, it power over you? No, 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 no. And and in fact, like, I don't even really utilize it. Most of the time, the thing's coming out, like, full clarity here, like, as my team, I just go, that's approved, post it. Like, pull it from the podcast, pull it from the thing. And, and that's because I understand something important that most people don't understand because I've been in digital marketing and advertising for the majority of my life. And I've worked with some major companies and that's that these algorithms are built 
in a very specific way on the way that you interact with them. And the currency, do you know what the currency for social media is? No. It's fear. The currency on social media is fear because the more that you can buy into the fear that they give in front of you, the more that you utilize their program, the more that you're in the algorithm, the more that you're suddenly lost in the matrix because they know what scares you. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, it is the end of a very eventful year and it's the beginning of a wonderful year full of opportunity for all of us. And I am hoping that people take what you just said to heart in a very powerful, sincere and deliberate way, because I think we can shed so much of what lies behind us, either from traumatic childhoods, traumatic experiences, regret, remorse, wish we would have done so many things differently, but even as it pertains to all the social media and all these aspects of that become have become such a big and real part of our lives. We don't have to continue to go down that path. There's so many significant and specific changes we can make. And I love what you said about spending a few bucks on a book, an audio book, but how about all the free material? Dr. Bessel van der Kolk was one of my professors as well. And he just changed my view of so many things, but his book for God's sake is free online through mm-hmm. YouTube. I think his entire book is free. The body yeah. keeps the score dealing with the consequence of trauma and how it gets lodged and stuck in our bodies. So I'm so happy. You said that there is an enormous amount of material we can get free. Yeah. And uh, my book's free too. go to the library. Like what that's true. The- the lack of humility that people have to walk into the library blows my mind. Like, like really, like it really does. I I'll, I'll read, I'm on pace for 70 books to end this year. And I try to be at 60 to 70 a year, about one, one plus a week, almost all of them come from the library and I don't pay for them (laughs) because why would I, they're free. That's what the library is for. Go. How fun. (laughs) Healing trauma through building a team. When I think about libraries, I think one of the things I miss most about formal education is the community that I had and the study groups and all of that. What I love about having a company and working with the amazing people I've worked with here for some almost 20 and 25 years is the team. It's the community we've built. Can you address how we heal trauma through building a team for our listening audience that perhaps is working in corporate America, or maybe some of them may be on the streets? I don't know. Yeah. How do we build How do you advise them to build this team? Yeah. I you know, I think community, but you say team and I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I think, it, you know, you have to have support in this, right? You, people will go through life and create this narrative that they're alone, but I'm telling you, you're not, there's 8 billion people on planet earth. It's impossible. You literally can't be alone, but you have to go and find and cultivate what you want. When, when people say, well, I'm, I'm so by myself and nobody gets it. I'm like, well, where are you bringing value to the world that someone would get it? Cause sometimes like when you're at your rock bottom, you need to go serve. 
You need to go be around other people. You need to cultivate people that you can bring up as you're bringing yourself up. But also like, do you need a coach? Do you need a mentor? Do you need a therapist? Do you need to go do community service with like-minded people? And and people will get stuck on it because they'll always go to, well, I don't have money. Great. Go to the library, hop on a podcast. Your podcast is incredible. Go read a book. Thank you. Go like, like these things are here for you. There's a place in your life in which you have to acknowledge that you're making excuses for your life being what it is because you're not taking control. And that's a really hard pill to swallow because when you're not taking control, which I didn't do for a very, very long time. So I'm not passing blame here. You're playing the victim. And the more that you play the victim, the more that your life will stay the exact same. And when you change that, when you decide, you make a decision that I am not going to do this. I'm going to show up for myself, even though it's difficult, hard, uncomfortable, unknown, the things around you start to change with that. And so do the people in it. But sometimes you literally have to raise your hand and go, Hey, I need help. And that's okay. You know, this was not one of the questions that I had written here, but what do you think is one of the primary reasons why people have become like lab rats almost, and they don't take control. They don't step into these uncomfortable things, even though everything in them, I love what you said is almost screaming, please. We were meant for more than this. There's more than this. We don't have to settle for this. Why do you think more people do not and, and this is, I, and I don't mean to throw you off. It's just, I care no, what I'm, you I'm, think. Yeah, no, I, I have the answer. It's very simple. Yeah. Think about this. When you're third grade, you color the moon purple. Miss Smith comes up to That's you and right. says, you know what, Virginia, that ain't how you do it. What is wrong with you? Do what everyone else does. And then you go through school and then you go through college and then you go through the workforce. Where have you ever found identity in that? And now you're in this position where your life is feeling like a disaster, but you're doing all the things. You got the corporate job. You have the $80,000 car. You got the, the husband and two kids and the dog and you're drinking yourself to sleep every single night. Why? Because you're miserable, because you're not living into your authentic self while you're simultaneously doing the thing that everyone said you're supposed to do. When you understand that the aspect, again, coming back to the brain about it being a survival tool is you recognize that your behaviors are indicative of someone who needs to stay within the community. Why? Because if you get ostracized from the community based on our DNA and our lineage and our history of being a human being, you, if you are ostracized, are likely to die. But the thing that you have to understand is that is your primal brain. That is your brain at its most baseline for survival. And when you take inventory of the world that you actually live in, what you understand is ostracization does not not equal death. It means change. And so if you're willing to embrace change and understanding that the decisions that you're making are not going to lead to your demise, you're more likely to actually act upon those. And so when people are in this place, the, the greatest thing that you could do is just pause and take inventory of your environment. Am I safe? Am I protected? Is this decision actually going to blow up and destroy my life? Chances are probably not. not you run into exactly. a bank with guns and cocaine, you're in trouble. You quit your job you're probably going to be okay. And the thing is, I, I tell people all the time, and I, I think it gets misconstrued, but I say this, I only do what I want to do. And I never do what I don't want to do. And that's how I figured out who I was. And that's how I'm figuring out who I am. And even today, like 
over a decade into this journey, I'm learning more about myself in the last month than I have in the last 10 years, because there's levels to this, but you have to be willing to tap into asking yourself difficult questions. That's right. And just listening to you, your commentary on basically standardized education is gripping and the standardization of these academic and educational environments is disgusting because it really snuffs the light of the individual liberty of self-expression and of reason. Isn't that what we're supposed to do is learn how to reason and discover and question and it's amazing. I'll never forget when I became a citizen of the United States. It was such a beautiful day in my life, but I took my kids with me because I was homeschooling them at the time. And I'll never forget this man comes up to me in line that, by the way, I was a little concerned leaving my kids all sitting there while I went and stood in line. It was just one of those bizarre things. I didn't have a good feeling. He was kind of a little bit creepy staring at us for hours while we waited to be called. And I'll never forget. He came up to me and said, excuse me, but I couldn't help but observe your children and how they interacted with you. And I just found it was gripping how they just sat there and just sat down, opened their backpacks, started doing their work and just took initiative. And he said, I thought that was remarkable. And I said, well, I'm a dismal failure probably as a homeschooling parent, but there's something beautiful that's emerging and I'm not sure I'll ever fully understand it, but they do self-govern. They do have the capacity to self-govern and they know what they have to do. And he said, I am a college professor and I am adamantly opposed to the whole entire homeschooling community and movement. And I'm just wondering why you did it. And I said, I wanted my kids to reason for themselves. I didn't want them to grow up learning in a maze. I'm not trying to keep them from anything. I want them to know how to access everything and how to access information. And I'm not trying to indoctrinate them, but I don't want the world or an academic system to standardize and indoctrinate them either. I want them to learn how to think freely. And I did the best I could in that endeavor, but I will tell you every single one of my kids, right? They're all as different as the colors in the rainbow. But one thing that's always brought me a great deal of pleasure, and that's why I loved hearing you say that, is how they're not afraid to question everything. And even when they find themselves drinking the Kool-Aid with any particular thing, I've watched the ups and the downs and the, the turnarounds and the cul-de-sacs of their lives. I've watched them develop as people. But I think one of the most gratifying things has been is to see them exercise their capacity to self-govern and to think freely about things that at times were very much against my perspective of what was wise. But I've seen them become fully human, fully whole. I've watched them step into wholeness through all of it. And I think sometimes standardized education, and like you said, Dijani and the coloring inside the lines, it just robs us of something really sacred about our humanity. And that's exercising the liberty to enable us to live free and to access freedom. Yeah. And 
So I, and maybe that's why I love your story so much somehow in the midst of so much confusion and chaos and pain and betrayal, you didn't lose that. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think probably the greatest outcome of being a tremendous failure in school is I am now like an academic, unlike any other. I know. And, That's and what, amazing. what's so interesting to it? Well, but here's the thing I always was, I just didn't want to learn about the crap they wanted to teach me. Right. right. And, and like, I recall distinctly reading Hamlet in like third grade out of pure curiosity, being fascinated with the etymology of words and trying to understand Shakespeare and read it. It's not a book that third graders read, but I got in trouble because I wasn't reading like Clifford the Big Red Dog or whatever crap they were trying to feed to me. And by the time that I was a senior in high school, one of the prominent reasons I did not graduate on time was I missed 91 days my senior year. I I didn't care. There's and people say this all the time in passing, but like, I really mean it. I've not carried any lesson of high school with me into success in my real life, except the lesson that my teacher, Mr. Bush taught me on the day that he failed me in my business course and forced me to go to summer school. And that was this, if you want something in life, you have to earn it. You can't get by on your charms and your good looks. And so because of that, you know, I, I look at school and I think it's an abomination. I think college, yeah. In context, let me be clear, because I know somebody's going to email me and try to cancel me, but I'm not cancelable. So don't bother. Is that in context, I look at people who go and spend $100,000 on a college education, oh. and end up doing something that they hate all day long, because they thought that was a the thing they were supposed to do because they lack the ability to have free thought. And that to me is a tr- terrible tragedy. in what I consider to be academia, because the reality is, as a human being, the one gift you actually have is the ability to have meaning made how you choose and decipher it should be made through the experiences that you have not shoved down your throat because because somebody decided that's what it should be. Well, the man that came up to me at the naturalization office said, watching you and sitting here for the last two and a half hours made me realize that a child truly, and in fact, is born with the most incredible gift to wonder and to explore that wonder. We kill it between kindergarten and high school and in college we're trying to ignite it again, but by then we're really trying to wake the dead. And I thought that was an incredible commentary coming from a college professor. So I think in this crazy time we're living in where cancel culture, I'm hoping is waking up a lot of people. I'm so happy to hear you say that because there is hope in truth. There's life in truth. And the truth is, I don't think there's one person listening to us right now that would disagree with a single thing you've said. Obviously, formal education has its benefits and it's wonderful to learn, but that's what you're about. The beauty of learning and these amazing resources that are accessible, by the way, to all of us through YouTube, for God's sake, all these professors are posting these amazing lectures. You can learn more about the brain through YouTube channels right now. And these lectures that are posted by these amazing professors than I did when I sat 
in my new. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. I, I feel bad for you for wasting all that money on something that I get for free every day. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And you know what? This was so many years ago, right? Education and the cost of education wasn't yeah. what it's become. That, but now I don't want it to be a source of discouragement for people. On the contrary, people like you and I have to rally them to the cause of liberty and freedom and learning and everything that's accessible to us. Yeah. So. Education is everything. I mean, I've literally been in rooms with PhDs getting continuing education who are hundreds of thousands of dollars into school debt, yes. which, which look, I respect, I understand what they're trying to do, but I'm like, well, I only paid 200 bucks for the course. I paid 500 bucks for the course. I'm right here with you. That paper, that piece of paper you're chasing so desperately, like that's not actually going to be the thing that defines you. And if you don't let go of that, man, I feel bad for you because the truth is, you can have all the plaques on the wall that you want. That doesn't make you studious. There's a big reset, right, Michael? There's a big reset happening. And I want everybody to jump on board and know that the sky's the limit. You can do and achieve. But the key is be careful with propaganda. Think for yourself. Way out, right? Perspectives, ideas, research. And don't just drink the Kool-Aid. But the world yeah. is open for us like never before. So. Yeah. And look, and don't believe your own stuff either, because the truth is for a long time, yes. I, I settled. I said, this is who I'm supposed to be. And then I decided that I didn't want to be that person anymore. Then when you adapt a growth mindset, when you really adapt a growth mindset and you dive into education and you learn, you build a team of people around you and you give more than you take and you educate yourself, the, the, it's unbelievable what you will do. I've accomplished things that were where I'm from that people would deem as impossible. Right. I mean, I'm a kid with, with no real literary background who wrote a number one best-selling book, who's spoken on stages in front of 10,000 people, who have a number one podcast in the world, who's traveled the world, live all these different countries. And I was homeless when I was eight years old. Stop limiting yourself. Whatever that narrative that you have that you can't, if you eliminate that, you will tap into greatness. Well, all the enduring voices of a generation will always speak to the triumph of the human spirit. And you are that voice. And I can't even begin to tell you how thankful and how honored I am that you reached out to us because it's a joy to rally with you in our own sphere. And it's wonderful changing your life after hitting rock bottom. What's your final word on that? Yeah. The people that say I have hit rock bottom. I am just, you don't understand, Michael. Yeah. What's it I, I would, I would say this, if you're at rock bottom, you can't go any lower. That's so right. you might as well. So you might as well do something different and you, you have might nothing as well to lose, right? You have nothing to lose. Pack up the bags, move to San Francisco, go to Canada, go to Europe at, start the business, ask the girl out, quit the job. Like you're already there. The only thing, the only thing worse than where you're already at is death. That's inevitable. That's going to happen anyway, hundred percent guarantee. Like it's the only promise that I can make you that will happen. No questions asked in your life. You will die. So between now and that moment, if you are truly at, if look, rock bottom is the place where you're like, oh my God, it cannot get worse, That's but right. I promise you it can. So you might as well make a decision to do something different. 
I love and look, it. That, that comes to accountability. Stop making excuses. I know this is hard. Um, I'm going to get canceled. Somebody's going to send me an email. Stop making excuses because every single day that you're not showing up for yourself, you're lying to yourself That's right. and you keep waiting for tomorrow. And I promise you, eventually the tomorrows run out. And when they're out and when they're gone, you're going to wish you were at rock bottom because when the tomorrows are over, you're dead and you don't get any more. And what's so tragic about that state is you're violating your conscience. It's an assault on yourself Hmm. because I believe the law of God is written in the heart of every man and it's the conscience that bears witness. And what I love about your story at every juncture I just, I'm just so inspired by the fact that somehow that voice that you said, no, Virginia was pretty loud. It spoke pretty loud, but that was the voice of your conscience. And somehow you managed Mm -hmm. not to completely destroy it and silence it. And that is your greatest resource and access. And you can find your strength there if you begin to understand. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And when you interview me, but I, I love that concept that you really have, no, the truth, here's the truth. You really have everything within yourself, every resource within yourself to completely change the trajectory of your entire life. Yeah, you do. And you, but you you're have a living testimony. Exactly. You have to honor it. And you're a living testimony of that. And I'm so inspired by you. The power of mentors. This is the final question, I guess, that I would like you to address. I would, I would not be where I am without them. The only, the only thing I wanted when I was a little boy was a father, but it wasn't like, as I got older, I recognized it wasn't a father. That's not what I wanted. I wanted guidance. I wanted leadership. I wanted someone to put their hand on my shoulder and say, Hey, this is the path or Hey, it's going to be okay, whatever that was. And, and having a mentor, like you can call it a coach too, right? Either or it doesn't matter, but no one great has ever done anything by themselves. We need that person one step in front of us. So we don't have to step on the landmine as we go through navigating this thing. And, and having that person one step ahead of you is everything. And your mentor, it can be a book. It can be a podcast. It can be your therapist to some extent, right? Or it can be the person that you hire, who you literally come to and they say, hey, where are you trying to go? All right, great. Let's formulate the game plan, create accountability and go for it. And I, I would not be where I am in my life or where I plan on going without having mentorship. And look, there's, there's levels to mentorship and you have to invest into it, right? So I actually have an, an acronym around this called TEAM, T-E-E-M, time, effort, energy, money. You're going to have to invest at least one, but chances are you're going to have to invest all four because the reality is if you're not pot committed, if you're not burning the bridges to take the island, if you're not committing first, you're never going to have change in your life. And one of the best things that you can do, like one of my friends, Dan, he has this amazing story. He was dead broke. He was homeless. He had 200 bucks to his name. He had no problem. He had nothing. He spent his last $200 on a coach. Now he's a multimillionaire. He's like leading huge companies, amazing family, beautiful kids, the whole nine. Cause he committed. He invested in himself. Again, this is that Starbucks coffee thought. People are more willing to spend $7 on Starbucks than they are in 
themselves. There's something wrong with that and you have to change it. And when you get into having a mentor, the best thing that happens is that you have a different perspective from someone who's already done the thing you're trying to do. And nothing against Starbucks or having a cup of coffee. Yeah, they're going to sue me. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with that, of course. And I know the spirit in which you're saying it, but I'm thinking it's not just that it's drinks after work. It's the bottle of wine or two or three that you have over dinner. If you really start adding up what people spend just on drinks and alcohol, they can get amazing coaching for half Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. I'm just stunned by what it costs to go out to dinner and have a few watching people just have a few drinks. That's expensive. So if you're willing to make some minor adjustments in your life and individually, you all know what those are all of a sudden it's, it's doable. Change is accessible and it's doable. Yeah. And if you don't have money, cause look, somebody is listening right now and they're single and they got three kids they are working four jobs. They have no money. I respect that. I get it. That's right. It's called YouTube. It's YouTube. And that's why we do podcasts. The reason that's why I do began, podcasts. Exactly. The reason we began, and I, I thought for sure, when I read about you, I thought the reason Michael, I'm sure puts all this out there. It's not like you and I need another thing to do, but it's to make, you know, yeah, it's funny, <laughs> but it's to make information accessible and to give people hope. Yeah. You don't have to stay where you find yourself. Michael, what a joy to speak with you. What an honor. I can't wait. I I just hope we can continue and collaborate and do some amazing things together because I just, honestly, people like you are my heroes. Well, I appreciate you. And thank you so much for the opportunity. It's absolutely my honor. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to this incredible episode. I know this is my new favorite. If you'd like to get in touch with Michael and Think Unbroken, please go to his website, thinkunbroken.com or his Instagram at Michael Unbroken. Michael also has his own podcast called Think Unbroken with Michael Unbroken, in which he hosts Virginia as a guest in one of his upcoming episodes. You can find it anywhere you find our rest podcast, including YouTube. So don't forget to click follow and turn on your notifications for when that episode is released. Don't worry. We'll also announce it on social media as well. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next Friday.